Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Richard Watts with you here on Smart Arts and joining me via the magic of Zoom is Anne-Marie Peard, who joins us fortnightly to talk about theatre and what's on Melbourne stages, a bit of a combination of critique and celebration, given that we spent almost two years unable to gather communally in theatres and celebrate one of the art forms that we love. Anne-Marie, thank you for joining us again this fortnight. Good morning, Richard, and Goodness, we're back, aren't we? We're back to seeing so many shows that we're tired and it's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to so be. So we have lots and lots to talk about. I'm certainly going to be tired. And I didn't even tired. laugh at Uranus. Ah. Well, I'm going to be exhausted uh, in over the next three or four weeks because I'm. Um, the comedy festival is on. I'm seeing as much as I possibly can, which means I'll be missing some other shows, um, independent theatre, and perhaps some main stage. But it all balances out in the mix in the long term. But. Anne-Marie, maybe let's start with uh, with Hamilton, given that it's... Oh, let's start with Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, so much to say. There's a lot of hype around this show. Yeah. And at opening night, I was sitting next to a, a, a couple, one of whom has already seen the show here in Australia 14 mm. times. So it oh, must have flown great. up to Sydney multiple times to see it and then also seen yeah. a couple of the previews in Melbourne, which is... Testament, I guess, to the passion that this particular musical has engendered in its but, audience. Yeah. I was sitting just behind you, so I know the person you're talking about, and their passion for this show was remarkable. I had with me a friend's 10-year-old who'd seen it already on Sunday before the Thursday opening night, and their level of excitement was the same. It was like, he wants to go and see Hamilton every single week, loves it so much. Why do you think But that... it also came, yeah, in a week with this fortnight of so many big and small and amazing musicals running in Melbourne. It was this week where we went from the exquisite boutique, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning you know, drama Pulitzer Prize winner that was next to normal, that the James Terry Collective had at um, Chapel of Chapel, and it's finished, but um, Queenie Van Der Zandt in this show, oh, my goodness, she was just extraordinary. And this is a show that can be melodramatic and stereotypical and, you know, it's all about trauma, as all the good musicals are, but if this one comes back, definitely go and see it again with this extraordinary performance by Queenie Van Der Zandt. We had Victorian Opera doing Happy End, which had a very, very short run, but this was um, Kurt Weilbertop Brecht musical that was first seen in 1929 and then not sort of seen in America till the 70s with Meryl Streep starring in it on Broadway. Uh, so we had this very historical piece of music theatre and theatre of course, you know, presented in a way that was very, very contemporary, but we got to sort of look back on where we came from. I know you saw American in Paris. I did, and I'll talk very, about very that. Very, very big, and you can talk about that. So all of these shows and the development, we get ourselves to something like Hamilton that, you know, of 
I don't want to say good things about lockdown, but the greatest thing about lockdown it was that we were able to see the streamed version of the filmed version of the original Broadway production of Hamilton. And we weren't meant to see that until at least 2022 in the cinema. So we'd heard about this show and were able to sit and watch it and understand it. And I know the first time I watched it on the streamer, I cried and possibly the second and by the third time I'd probably stopped crying. But how amazing to finally see it on our stages and see a real production of it. I do have a big but about some of my issues with it, but I love every moment of being there. I love the enthusiasm of people like those ones around us who just love this show to pieces. Why do you think Hamilton has attracted such... I, um, fanaticism, such devotion oh, from yeah. its fans. I mean, for people who don't know the story of Hamilton, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's plenty who don't, this is uh, a contemporary American musical, musical about one of the founding fathers of the United States. The And a group of, of men, and they are all men, who have taken on mm-hmm. almost mythical status in the USA. There's this kind of foundational uh, legend in the US which plays into and which some of which I... I've now seen the show twice, I live, um, and some of that almost hero worship of the Founding Fathers Mm -hmm. I find grating and and difficult to cope with. But why do you think Hamilton resonates? It's a USA story and it's full of history and attitudes that are in literally in the bones of the cast and an American audience, which is something we don't have. And ultimately, you know, we can talk about all the incredible things about this and how it's cast and the music, but it's a story about how we tell people's stories. You know, the lyrics are literally who lives, who dies, who tells your story as we get to the end. And to be telling a story that people know so well I understand how a lot of people get this but from our perspective we're learning this story and I'm wondering how that's translating so your issues with it with the we look at it and go who are these people you're doing weird things whereby a lot of other people are looking at it going this is us on that stage Hmm. one of my issues with the show is that uh and I, I will say that having seen it in Sydney and now again in Melbourne, mm. the Melbourne production is so much tighter and uh, more vital and alive uh, than it was when I saw it in Sydney. In Sydney, it, it, I saw it at, a, at an industry preview, mm. so uh, some uh-huh. of the, the choreography hadn't quite gelled yet, for example, and the cast were not hesitant, but they have mm. really settled into their role. So I will say that I enjoyed uh, seeing the show again enormously. I think it's, uh, for the most part, it's a strong and fascinating show with some really great performances. Mm. But I think it is a very, you know, step-by-step, joke-by-joke, finger-snap copy of the Broadway production, which is kind of what we want, but, but, but. yeah. But, but, and one of my buts with the show is uh, 
Lin-Manuel Miranda has reimagined American history by using rap, by using a variety of contemporary music forms to tell this story. Uh, the line, and I'm paraphrasing, it's the story of America then as told by America now with a, a wonderful multiracial yeah. cast. But he has failed to give uh, depth to any of the female characters who exist only to sing about the men and how much they like them uh, and how their lives are impacted by them. So there's a lack of imagination there. Why aren't some of the the Schuyler sisters were apparently advocating strongly for their father to walk away from slavery? That's not articulated in the musical, for example, nor is the issue of slavery itself, save for a, a couple of throwaway lines. So I think there's more yeah, that could have been done. I think the issue of slavery comes across a lot more in the American version. I thought I was picking up a lot more, and I think in this it is just, oh, you know, that's just something we have to talk about. But the Schuyler sisters, um, yeah, I totally hear what you're saying about it. Um, they become much, much stronger in the second act, particularly when they take on the story. Um, but also something I did love about particularly this Australian one was there was an ability to bring, as the performers were allowed to bring a lot of themselves to some of the characters, and particularly Akina Edmonds as Angelica Schuyler. I thought she brought the older Angelica's perspective into the whole show. So she felt like she was looking back at it with a lot more maturity than the young Angelica who first meets, you know, Alexander Hamilton on the street. I will but, certainly say in terms of the performances, I think Lyndon Watts as Aaron oh, Burr is outstanding. The depth and the layers he brought to that character, it was like we were totally in his head rather than him acting like the narrator, which he tends to do. So, yes, he was amazing. And Jason Arrow is absolutely nothing like Lin-Manuel Miranda as Hamilton. And I love seeing that, that we don't have to be completely stuck in these characterizations. whereby there were some, because it is such a, this is the same show we've seen on Broadway, some of the other characters I felt were really stuck in the idea that the very first performers had of it. So they were stuck in a characterisation that one particular performer had developed and that just felt a little bit unauthentic at times. And it's still not a criticism because I think that's what a lot of people want to see. We want to see that thing we watched on the streamer and we want to know about it. But I was much more enjoying those who not changed it, but brought so much more of themselves to it. We shouldn't spend too much longer talking about no. Hamilton because... Uh, at it, the it... end of the day, this is a show that's it's perfect because it's been run and run and run and run and developed and developed and developed. And so was Next to Normal that took 10 years of development before it got to Broadway. And I watch these shows and I think if we could only put even a squidge of that development into Australian musicals. We would have our stories being told on stage like Hamilton. So we'd be able to see things that we feel in our bones and get so passionate about that we want to see them again and again and again. And we just keep seeing astonishing shows have, you know, weak runs sometimes. I've seen shows, I think, why are we not seeing this on a big stage yet? Because it's already forgotten. Or we see shows that are just not working when we see them on the stage and they get forgotten. And what they need is that years of development and support. So I want to see 
the Australian Hamilton. I, it's there. We're going to do this one day. Well, uh just before we move on, yes, uh, it would. I think now would be a great time to bring back uh, Eddie Perfect, Shane Warne, the musical, for example. Oh goodness, yes. Yeah, which that was the show that made me stop hating Shane Warne. I'd always just seen him as, you know, some bogan cricket sports ball player, and I remember seeing that musical and going, "Oh, okay, Warne, you're all right. Eddie, you're all right. Yeah, yeah." Um, before we move on from Hamilton, I just want to give a quick shout-out to Dean Dryberg, who's the resident director of the Melbourne production, and I suspect uh, his uh, light hand on the material is one of the things that enables some of the actors to bring their own personification to the role rather than trying to uh, kind of uh, absolutely 100% replicate what has been done already oh. in the US, which is always a problem with imported productions in which the original creative team say, no, you have to deliver the line like this hit that yeah. mark there. Here we see, as you said, um, some of the actors breathing their own life, bringing their own uh, depth and character to their roles. But Hamilton. Dean's understanding of music theatre is extraordinary. He's one of my favourite music theatre directors, so definitely. Hamilton is currently playing in Melbourne at Her Majesty's Theatre and it's essentially critic-proof, uh, regardless of any qualms that Anne-Marie and I may have about the production. Hundreds of thousands of people will be buying tickets to go and see it over the next 12 months. So, uh, and there are, some, there, there are some absolutely fine performances in the show. Uh, Anne-Marie, uh, do we want to move on to talk uh, about some independent work? Look, can I, I want to talk about a dance piece. Now, I saw Flux Job by Lucy Grin. That was on last week. Now, I sometimes really struggle with describing dance. I'm you know, someone who relies on language to communicate and I don't, always know how to be really articulate about something that doesn't have words. But every time I see a piece of choreography by Lucy Guerin, and I've been seeing them for many, many years now, I want to understand dance more. Her work just shows us our limitations of language and how physical performance can communicate so much more than, you know, these words we use all the time. Um, this was a piece developed in lockdown, one of those was on and off, on and off, on and off. And it was a piece about lockdown, but it never really felt like it. It was only when I reflected back on it and thought about it, I thought, oh, this was about lockdown. So the first part of it um, was four dancers, originally just one, and each one had this square of light that they were dancing in. And, of course, and I realised, oh, that was 1.5 metres every way. So they were very separate from each other, but these lights would merge and suddenly they'd be together and they'd be apart again. And it felt very much like lockdown. It moved on to um, some monologues that they'd all the four performers had developed during lockdown. They were about travel and family and all the things we talked about during lockdown. And as they were performing them, they were putting on makeup and it slowly realised they were ageing themselves. So they went from you know, young people to extraordinarily older people. And yeah, that, that felt like that last two years. And it ended with sort of a Swan Lake-ish type ballet piece that was very ballet, but nothing ballet, but that type of performance where you could not perform it by yourself. You absolutely had to be with other dancers. So I really enjoyed that and... Even though I can't really talk about dance very well, everything Lucy does as a choreographer, 
I would recommend people go and see because you will begin to understand dance in a way that maybe you didn't before. I will absolutely uh, support that recommendation as well. Do keep an eye out for anything presented by Lucy Guerin, Inc. Uh, I'm going to segue briefly from Flux Job, which you were just talking about, to an American in Paris at Art Centre Melbourne, which I went into, I must confess, um, slightly pessimistically thinking, what is um, a musical based on uh, an American film from, I think, the 1940s. How is it going to resonate today? I'm not quite sure. Um, And it was glorious, and it's glorious because of the dancing. The music is good. Um, uh, The music is absolutely uh, kind of alive and vivid. But the dancing, uh, particularly from the leads who I saw on opening night, uh, was just exquisite. There's a moment where one of the the female lead is auditioning for a dance class and you literally see her transform from slightly stressed and demure as the joy of the dance takes over. Um, The... The emotion radiating off her was remarkable and amazing, and the the just the passion and the skill with which the dance is performed in this production. It blends classical ballet because uh, two of the leads, the Australian leads, who are alternating the roles with America with uh, international guests are from the Australian ballet. So it's got it's heavily grounded in classical ballet, but it also brings in jazz and tap uh, and kind of. It's so alive and thrilling that I I walked out with such a grin on my face, Anne Marie. It was a oh wow. Um, so an American in Paris is uh, at Art Centre Melbourne um, until the twenty third of April in the State Theatre, and it was an absolute joy to watch, and I definitely strongly recommend it. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Just so different from these little boutique shows. Yeah. Now, we should wrap up shortly. In a, so we've only got a yes, couple... Uh, I just want to mention, I've already I've only seen two comedy festival shows so far, or as I call it, the Melbourne Independent Celebratory Feminist Festival, because that's the words I use to choose my shows. Um, one I saw was called Foreign Bodies by Candace Darcy. That's on at the Butterfly Club until April the 3rd. This is a solo work... Uh, so, um, her experience of growing up in South Africa in the 1980s as, you know, a very privileged white, white child and she called herself a bit of a good girl. And it's a story about her realising, you know, once she left home and went to university and fell in love and she had a baby at 21 and the baby's father was Indian and she was just... It's her story of being confronted by racism in a way that you don't understand yourself, particularly her own inherent racism. And she moved to Australia and about seven years ago, that reflection of looking at Melbourne and Australia from a different point of view and, look, it's a warm and generous and lovely performance and I highly recommend it. And if you don't know much about South Africa and apartheid in the 80s particularly, it's an absolutely wonderful lesson to get history up. And I saw Kapow, which is how you have to say it, by the two little dickheads. That's on its Storyville until the 10th of April. Now, the two little dickheads wrote this show back in 2019. It's a follow-up from their 2018 show, Where the World Exploded. 
And so they'd written this show about a post-apocalyptic world and they keep saying, we, we wrote this before 2020 happened and they actually had to take a lot of the jokes out because there's this ongoing fear. Did we manifest the last two years by writing jokes all about that? But if you haven't seen The Two Little Dickheads, they're absolute magnificently joyous dickheads. They wear their cat pyjamas, they do bad magic, they worship cats, it's all about cats, which of course I love. But they're secretly hiding this ridiculously fierce intelligence behind every bit of surreal, bonkers dickheadness. You can't be that much of a dickhead if you don't know your craft. So I highly recommend that. And at the end of the show, you can buy yourself a crochet dick or a cat badge and all the money goes to a foster cat program. Lovely. So two little dickheads on at Storyville, Melbourne in the CBD until the 10th of April. And Anne-Marie also recommending Foreign Body. Uh, which is on at the Butterfly Club until the 3rd of April. And that is written and performed by Candice Darcy. I also saw two comedy festival shows last night, Scout Boxall's Buck Wild at, at Comedy Republic in Burke Street. Now, Scout last year got a, a Best Newcomer nom- nomination for what was a surreal sketch comedy show. This year they're doing well, something... I love Scout. This year they're yeah. doing something a little bit different, more traditional stand-up in some ways, but uh, a very personal and intimate show. Uh, I saw the very first preview last night. A little rocky, as you'd expect from a preview, but once Scout has bedded this show in, uh, I think Buck Wild will be kind of definitely enjoyable although it is uh, a show as I said that is very personal and very intimate uh, and uh, tackles some tough subjects so be uh, bear that in mind and I also saw Michael Schaefer's The Return of Schaefer at the um, Campari Lounge in Hardware Lane which was great fun Uh, classic stand-up and uh, witty, engaging, talking about lockdown and COVID, as you would expect, uh, and uh, some definitely some fun jokes and punchlines as well. So uh, I will have more comedy recommendations in the coming weeks as I see a lot more shows. Anne-Marie Peard, thank you so much for joining us. Quickest I, I want to recommend not talking about comedy is The Rabble open their new show this tomorrow night at Arts House. It's called Yes... It's not part of the comedy festival, but another show that's taken two years of on and off and on and off. And the Rabble are hands down possibly my favourite company ever. (laughs) One of my favourite companies ever, but this is queer feminist theatre that, oh, goodness, some people, you know, we, we feel these stories in our bones. Other people go, what are you talking about? The Rabble were a guest that, on the that, show that, just yeah. the other week and people can check out that interview via Radio On Demand on the Triple R website. Anne-Marie Peard will catch you in a fortnight's time. Fabulous. Triple R. Now, it's not unnatural but very, very natural that comedians take a very different perspective and different slant on the world. There's something unique about the wiring of their brain, I sometimes think. And what I find particularly fascinating is just over the the last five to six, five to ten years, just how frank and honest comedians have been getting when talking about mental health, about depression and about some of the other issues that face them. Uh, 
Google Amanda Jane Dildo is a show that's on at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival from the 2nd to the 23rd of April and is performed by my next guest, Amanda Jane Pritchard. Amanda, welcome to Triple R. Thank you, Richard. Pleasure. Now, to cut to the chase, I guess, you were diagnosed as bipolar uh, a few years ago, and that diagnosis, I understand, has been hugely beneficial for you and, and feeds very much into this show. That's 100% correct, yes. Um, the bipolar diagnosis was in 2015, after many, many years of um, not wanting to be diagnosed um, and living quite the chaotic life. Um, and... You know, the thing with the diagnosis is I, I rejected it for a long time, um, but thinking that it was going to have a detrimental effect on my life because with bipolar, you don't want those highs taken away from you and you think, oh, they're going to medicate me and I'm going to be a zombie. But actually the opposite happened. Um, it, it, the medication and the mindfulness, the therapy, um, being honest about it and talking about it um, is why I do what I do now, oddly. Um, I think my creativity is actually, you know, it, it wasn't stifled at all. And um, now, yes, I channel all of those crazy stories from uh, from the life, which is still, you know, I still have a lot of awesome, crazy stuff going on in my life. It's just I live between the poles now as a opposed to wildly outrageous. In terms of, I guess, drawing upon all those experiences to create comedy, um, I mean, what's the old adage that comedy is tragedy plus time? So not necessarily suggesting that there's been tragedy in your life, but being able to take moments that were at the time perhaps confronting, frightening, freaking out the people around you instead of you and being able to turn that into comedy. Talk to us about that process of, of I guess, drawing on those experiences and using it now to make people laugh. Yeah, absolutely. I guess um, when I first um, jumped from my former career, which was in uh, public relations and events and I made wine, um, I wrote a play. And it actually, for me, was the best way to start taking my life and talking about bipolar, mental illness, mental health, um, by having other people <laughs> stand up and play me. Um, and slowly but surely, so since basically since 2016, um, that I now stand up and say first person, um, everything, you know, that has happened to me where previously it was an actress playing uh, Chloe, you know, for example, who was me. And everyone kind of knew that. If you came to my show, you just absolutely were like, oh, that's clearly you, Amanda. Um, but uh, I guess, you know, in terms of um, taking those harder moments, um, you know, like, for example, the times that I was asked to resign from a job or got sacked from a job, um, yeah, wow, if I think about how I felt at the time, it was devastating. Um, but now, uh, you know, I, I definitely I do joke about it <laughs> because looking back on it, uh, I think, goodness me, Amanda, how did you get into that position? <laughs> is it just the benefit of hindsight that allows you to laugh at that or is it also the craft of a comedian being able to distill uh, an event down to its essential, most hilarious moment by trimming away some of the, the, the awkwardness around it? It's both. It's, as you said before, it's the tragedy and time 
for sure. You know, I think uh, I first resigned from my last to resign, essentially, from my very first job as a 22-year-old, uh, and I did that on a post-it note. And that was... Um, absolutely one of the most horrific moments of my life as a young publicist, 22 years old. Um, but now, I, I mean, I just think it's hilarious that I resigned on a post-it note. <laughs> she was like, I need to get that in writing. So I grabbed the post-it note and I quit. How's that? Uh, so, um, yeah, and I think, yes, it is. It's the timing, but it is also, um, I think it's perspective as well. Um, you know, even during COVID, you know, even just recently, um, um, you know, I, I went through quite a, a dark time and, um, you know, depression is not funny, um, but um, I do like to shine a spotlight on it and how you can, how there is hope and how you can, there is another side to it. Now, as well as timing and perspective, part of the craft of comedy is about the framing that you bring to it, for example. And with Google Amanda Jane Dildo, you're using musical comedy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I take songs from the likes of Britney Spears and Kylie Minogue, uh, The Beatles, there's a bit of Elton, um, <clears throat> amongst others, and uh, I corrupt them uh, completely <laughs> for my purposes, um, including clearly dildos. Um, it really, it's, it's about the, – the dildo part is really – it's really about self-love. And it is – the show really is about a journey of me actually beginning to love myself, you know, at not liking myself, not liking a dildo, and then maybe changing my mind about it. Um, so, yes, dil, dildo me do is uh, the, the reason that I called the show Google Amanda Jane Dildo because uh, that song is the reason that if you Google – Amanda Jane Dildo, I am the first results uh, globally, which I'm very proud of. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, in terms of uh, taking something like a dildo, which uh, there's a, a level of public shame attached, for example, which is a lovely metaphor and a lovely uh, kind of parallel to talking about mental health as well, taking something that for years has been stigmatised or hidden away or just kind of discreetly kind of overlooked, for example, uh, and saying, well, no, actually, kind of there is nothing wrong with self-love, self-pleasure. Uh, similarly, there is nothing wrong with uh, mental health. It's, exact, it's no different to a physical health complaint. You just tackle it and get on with life. Yeah, I mean, I love that metaphor. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> um, yes, we dildos are completely and utterly in your face uh, at the show. Don't worry, we won't do anything with them to you. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, being um, having that respect for yourself um, and also, you know, just um, telling it like it is. There shouldn't, there's nothing shameful about it about a lovely big piece of plastic? Why not? Yeah. Now, in terms of your career, I know in 2018 you'd done a couple of shows in Melbourne and you then took off for Edinburgh uh, and the Edinburgh Fringe, which is always a baptism of fire for comedians and performers. Uh, and those who come out the other side are, are transformed in many ways. What was that experience like for you, both performing at Edinburgh and the aftermath? Because you stayed in the UK to tour and perform and, and just hone your craft through work, work and more work. 
That's exactly what I did. I feel like I kind of fell into um, being a performer of musical comedy in in the way that I do. Um, And I'd always wanted to do Edinburgh Fringe. Um, So I took myself off. I I bought a one-way ticket, took my guitarist, um, uh, James Hallett, who's amazing Melbourneian um, dude, and, um, yeah, booked Sight Unseen. Uh, Had never – I'd been to the Fringe once but in my former life and – had no idea I'd be back there performing and wow did I make every rookie error that you possibly could but I'm glad I did because um it was a bit of a litmus test um but by that last show I had um a bunch of blokes from Glasgow turn up in kilts who'd heard about the Aussie girl singing songs about dildos in a short kilts and I was like this is great um but I knew that I needed to work a lot more as you say hone the craft like so I did every open mic room from Glasgow to to London South Kensington Camden um and you know I had a lot of great moments, a lot of not so awesome moments. Um, and then my second Edinburgh Fringe, every mistake I made in that first year, I totally managed and did it the way that it should be done. Um, and it was great, you know. Um, I still pinch myself, um, you know, having people lining up to the show to, to come see it. So Edinburgh Fringe just, I mean, if you haven't been in August, you've got to go it's just one of the most remarkable experiences of my life yeah now that you've kind of honed those skills and you've got uh this show google amanda jane dildo you're presenting it at the melbourne international comedy from the 2nd to the 23rd of april melbourne international comedy festival can also be a tough festival for people but i would wager that given all those experiences you've talked about and all that lived kind of uh uh overcoming of various challenges from kind of i don't know selling tickets to everything else we've talked about, you must be feeling pretty confident about the Melbourne season. I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling nervous excitement but an odd calm. Um, I have the most amazing team of people now. Um, The show is now really a cabaret. I have dancers uh, Joshua Shielding and Fifi the Freak de Berardino who are amazing. Like, you just come to see them. I swear they're going to steal my thunder. They're just so funny. Um, And brilliant guitarist Mark Morand um, who is like a proper accomplished jazz guitarist and now he plays songs about dildos. Sorry, Mark. Uh, And of course, I've got Matthew Nixon, who is um, a VCA recent master's graduate in theatre. And um, he's just brought a whole other level. And I feel like we're a little family. And I think it's an ensemble performance now. It's it's not just me. And and, and, and to, to be honest, like, the, we had our final rehearsal yesterday and, you know, went for a drink after and it was just, I'm like, I love you guys. And, you know, that element really does bring the, an extra level of, of um, yeah, just feeling really, really good about it. And I hope people will come along. <laughs> Amanda Jane Fritchard and Ensemble are performing yeah. Google Amanda Jane Dildo from the 2nd until the 23rd of April as part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival at two different venues, the Victoria Hotel in North Melbourne and POEM, the Palace of Magnificent Experiences in Richmond. For more information, jump online, www.comedyfestival.com.au and just search for Google Amanda Jane Dildo or indeed you could just Google Amanda Jane Dildo and see what comes up.
up. Yeah. But as I said, the show's running from the 2nd to the 23rd of April as part of this year's Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Amanda Jane Pritchard, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. If you're a fan of contemporary circus, you probably don't need an introduction to the Brisbane-based company Circa. Not only are they one of the best circus companies in Australia, I would argue that they are one of the best circus companies in the world, and they're certainly in enormous demand, which makes it all the more significant that they are premiering a new work on here in Melbourne. I'm joined on the line by Circa's Artistic Director, Yaron Lifshitz, to tell us more. Yaron, a very good morning to you. Thank you, Richard, and thanks for your kind introduction. Well, it's certainly uh, it's kind, but it's also very, very true. Circa are in demand. The pandemic disrupted that, but you were, in fact, as far as I'm aware, the very first Australian company to resume international touring, which is surely a sign of how much uh, how how strong an audience there is around the world to see the company's work. I think it's a it's also a sign of a pathological dislike of sitting still. Yeah, we were. We were fortunate enough to be the first Australian company to be allowed back into full contact rehearsals anywhere in our in our rehearsal room here in Brisbane. We were in the first wave of companies back on stage in Australia, and we were the first major company back touring internationally. And we were we sent a group overseas in May 2021, and they just returned last week, um, and they're off again at the end of next week. So that I think gives you some sense of our wunderlustness as well as our kind of hunger to bring our art to the world. Now, that hunger, not only to bring your art to the world, but a hunger to reconnect uh, must have been really challenging to negotiate during the the worst moments of the pandemic when we could not touch one another. So for circus artists, acrobats in particular, for whom touch and physicality and support uh, is so integral to their artistic expression, that must have been enormously challenging to negotiate and is indeed, I understand, one of the the core elements of this new work on that you're premiering at the Ian Potter Centre for Performing Arts at Monash University. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I some of the most difficult things that I've ever done were those first couple of weeks of rehearsing and training during the start of the pandemic where we were working on Zoom with people in garages and parks and you would finish an hour and a half session and you would just crawl up into a, a, into a little ball and feel like crying. It was just extraordinarily difficult to feel that separated. Um and I, it definitely infused on with the sense of wanting to make a show about connection. A lot of our work recently, if people have seen Humans, Humans 2.0, Sacra, have been about big group statements, uh, lots of group choreography, massness. And I, I love doing that work. But at a certain point, you think, well, who is this group? And I wanted to zoom in. And I really wanted to look at what happens between people. Now, that's where I started, but shows never land up where you start. Um, the, way I, the best way I can describe it is you build the atmospheric conditions and the clouds that are summoned forth by those conditions is what 
emerges, you don't build the cloud. So you bring these people in a room with these ideas and these inspirations and these, this collaborative team, and you see what happens. And what we've actually cre- uh, created, it feels like a, a very exciting physical kind of art house movie. It's kind of a series of eight intersecting lives around a series of rectangles, spaces, uh, featuring, yeah, the sort of extraordinary physical work, but I, it, the show feels a lot more emotionally mature than anything we've done for a long time, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that goes for an audience, particularly one that uh, usually likes to jump to its circus dessert without eating its circus main course. Does that mean that previous work Circa has created have been emotionally immature? I think maturity is a sliding scale. Um, I, 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 I wouldn't say they're immature, but I do feel like there's a kind of ease with which we create emotion that is kind of unexpected. This show seems, this show feels like it dives much deeper into that, into its kind of tension, the space between people. It's, it's focused on small groups of people. There, don't get me wrong, there are big group scenes and some very, very exciting physical work. But I think at its core, this is a show that I try to make that's not afraid to see two people stand and try and connect. It's not afraid of a bit of stillness. Uh, and these are things that we aren't necessarily historically that great at. You know, circus is like, well, we do tough stuff and we do it with a kind of uh, hopefully intelligence in the audience hopefully responds to it. But this show feels kind of grittier and, and more, I think it's more engaging. I feel like you, you, you kind of, enter into the stories and the inner lives of these characters in a way that perhaps you, you're absolved from needing to do in our bigger stage shows. Is it a chance perhaps to, not necessarily to get back to basics, but to grapple with the foundational structures of contemporary circus, the, the bodies of the acrobats, the skills that they embody? Look, I absolutely think that's the case. I think we there's a every art form has its kind of baroque period, you know, where you start adding extra curls and brighter colours. And I feel like our art form has been doing that for the last little while. We've just there's a kind of an escalation of size, of scale, of kind of skill, and things get bigger and they have an extra twist in them. And at a certain point, I stop and think, so why? What is the kind of what? What is the point of this? And not to, to discount that work for, from us and from others, but more to say, I wonder if we should go back to this simple thing, this charged space between two people. What Walter Benjamin calls the the primal erotic relationship between distance and closeness, and to say, you know, we are all essentially charged particles. How do we how do we affect each other? And what happens when we, how we, we move and connect and, and, and threaten and, and uplift? And, and On really started its life as me thinking about this, this very potent little two-letter word that has so many meanings. It fills pages of the Oxford Dictionary. But two of the meanings that I particularly loved was to, to raise or hold up with contact, to be on something, and then to ignite, to turn on. And it struck me that these were two different axes of encounter that you have the uh the axis where you stand on someone which is like the bit in the relationship where you decide who cleans the house or who makes toast on tuesday morning and the ignition the, the horizontal the running into someone a stranger a frisson the explosion that two bodies make when they just happen to to connect 
And I wanted to put these two different axes of encounter into conversation. In terms of circus as an art form itself, I wanted to step back for a moment from talking about on specifically and talk more generally about contemporary circus. What is it about the art form you're on that so fascinates you and delights you and has kept you working at Circa for for many years and creating the work that the company is now renowned for? Why does circus strike such a chord with you? Uh, look, I, I love it because it's full of people who work really hard to get really good at stuff and then are prepared to risk doing that, what they do with it, to not do it in classical ways. Uh, so I love its contemporariness. I also love its authenticity. You know, it was Andy Warhol that said sex and parties are the two things you still need to be there for. And I think circus is a very legitimate bird. If you're not there, I say, oh, this guy did a triple thing off a who's he what's it. You're, you're going to look, even if you understand what it is, it's only intellectually impressive. But when you're sitting there in the moment and your heart stops, that's pretty pretty extraordinary. The other thing about it is I get really bored in plays. I love going to the theatre, but I just don't like plays. And I don't like the kind of talky obviousness of them. I like mystery, I love encounter, and I love risk. And for me, theatre is a ritual, gladiatorial kind of existential space that the group of people come into and try and make meaning and that seems to me exactly what I want my theatrical experience to be. Um, having said that, you know, like anybody who works in a medium also hates the medium, grapples with it, gets frustrated by it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a love affair for me but a stormy one. That grappling is something that's certainly uh, embodied in Circa's work, the uh, grappling with the possibility of what Circus as an art form can tell, can show, and literally grappling with the, the, the bodies, yeah. the postures, the, the remarkable athleticism of contemporary Circus artists and the acrobatics they create. On by Circa is the company's latest work. It's having its world premiere season at the Alexander Theatre at the Ian Potter Centre for Performing Arts at Monash University on the 7th and the 8th of April. You've been working pretty closely, I think, with uh, Monash University Performing Arts Centre for a couple of years to realise this work. It must be a delight to know that it is finally going to happen, Euron. Absolutely. The work has gone through... This is its third kind of iteration and type of project. It's gone through several years, a couple of creative developments, plus a pandemic. And our intent was to really make a show that could, could take the creative energy and the, the producerial energy that Paul Grabowski, Tom Guthridge and the team at Monash have, and it's laudable and, and should be celebrated, and, and take that, have a show that can bring that to the world. We have a lot of experience working with regional partners, Simon at Meridong in Wollongong and Marie Heath of Wyong are among people who've commissioned major work from Circa. Uh, and we really, we really like and appreciate the, the support we get from places that are a little bit off the beaten track. And I know Monash is technically a part of Melbourne, but it's also a little bit outside the usual kind of cultural precinct. And we think if we can play a part in helping, in helping bring some, some, strikingly original work to that to that stage and some new and compelling voices, then that would be, you know, awesome. After Monash, Circa's new work on uh, goes up to Darwin, Brisbane, Wyong, 
Geelong and Adelaide, and you can find out more info about that tour, particularly if you're streaming Triple uh, R from interstate or elsewhere in Victoria rather than Melbourne. Go to circa.org.au for details. And if you want to book for the upcoming season at the Ian Potter Centre for Performing Arts at Monash, go to monash.edu forward slash performing hyphen arts hyphen centres, and you'll be able to book for On by Circa, which, as I said, is happening on Thursday the 7th and Friday the 8th of April. I've been chatting with the company's artistic director, Yaron Lifshitz. Yaron, thank you so much for joining us on Triple R this morning. Thanks, Richard. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the art, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 